Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode of The Emma Gunn Show is brought to you in collaboration with Bondi Sands. Hello, hi, and welcome to a beauty special episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunn Awardner, and in this show, I'm joined by co-founder of Bondi Sands, Blair James, to drill down into what can be a really confusing topic, sun protection. Blair is well-placed to offer insight and expertise in this area, given that Bondi Sand Sun Protection is subject to the most rigorous testing in the world before it can go to market. And more than that, we'll discuss how to use sun protection, when to use it, and we'll debunk some of the sun care myths out there so that by the end of the episode, you're in no doubt how to use SPF in order to protect yourself from the sun's harmful rays. Spoiler alert, you'll be using SPF daily, whatever the weather, after you hear what Blair has to say. We also take a deep dive into Bondi Sands itself, a brand that started out in the self-tan category before taking its steps into sun protection. He shares the challenges of creating sun care products in Australia where the testing criteria is toughest and how they manage to achieve high SPF protection in formulas that feel luxurious and offer intense hydration while also hitting their ethical wants of being reef and environmentally friendly. The links to everything we discuss will be in the show notes, but for now, please do join me in welcoming, live from Melbourne, Blair James, co-founder of Bondi Sands, onto The Emma Gunn Show. Well, actually, I got my first Bondi Bondi Sands last summer, was it the summer before, and just loved it, A, because it's so nice to use, but also one of my favourite things about good, efficient, effective skincare, really accessible price-wise. Yeah, it's um. When we launched the brand in the UK, it was you know price point was a big driver, and and obviously there are some cheaper products in the market. Like say, if you look at the the Boots own brand or or Superdrug and things like that. But yeah, generally those products aren't formulated the ways the way ours are. Um. So and texture and and, and enjoyment of the product is so important with with um Suncare as as you mentioned, unless it's part of, you know, it's easy to use and it makes people feel good. They're not going to use it. So um. I think that's where Australia sort of led the development a little bit in because uh, part of our everyday lifestyle here now. Yeah, one hundred percent. And haven't haven't cases of basically because of all of the protection and the SPF that you guys have used, like a lot of the cases of skin cancer have actually gone down, showing that it works. Yeah, and, and uh, Australia is. I mean, we had um, probably the highest rate of skin cancer in the world. Uh, I think we still hold that title, which is which is not great. But the the cases they are uh, flattening out and. Look, we've, we've had a, uh, I guess, a skincare, sun care message jumped into us since we were very, very uh, early on. And um, one of the marketing campaigns is called Slip, Slop, Slap. And um, it's a very <laughs> tacky campaign that's been running since the 80s. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's all about, uh, it's not just sunscreen as a, um, 
which is, makes up sun care. It's also making sure you're wearing your hat, making sure you're mm-hmm. sitting in the shade when you can, wearing a T-shirt, um, making sure you're putting your sunscreen on enough time before you go out in the sun so it gives it time to actually work, making sure you're using enough um, and making, making sure you're reapplying. So there's so many things you need to do that really make up that uh, skincare regime. And, uh, you know, we're doing a lot of this education in the United States as well because they d- really don't understand skincare, probably less than the English do, to be honest. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's definitely a growing category and people are wanting to understand it more. Okay, so we're going to we're gonna lead into these questions, which I know that you've seen, yep. but I wanted to just start off, if you don't mind, and just ask you really what it was that drew you to be involved in sun care and why why you are working with a brand like or why you have a brand like Bondi Sands what's part why is it so deeply embedded in your DNA yeah I think uh, well it all started as a self-tanning brand um and really if you look at uh, you know self-tanning in Australia self-tanning and, and sun care really go hand in hand um and I think what has made Bondi very successful as a self-tanning brand is in the very beginning, what we wanted to do was to create a self-tanning product that mimics what you could get from the sun. Um, because the culture is here in Australia to just, well, it was, to lay in the sun for as long as possible um, and, and tan oil. yourself as much as possible. Yeah, exactly. Um, so as you know, you know, as that sun care message has, has started to cut through here in Australia and people are really understanding that, you know, sun care and that, um, yeah, that whole sun care awareness piece has started to cut um, click in you know people have been looking for self-tanning products that uh that offer that same level of um color that you get from the sun so that's how bondi really uh, became successful it was that it was that depth of color and then that has really led into into sun care because then people are now realizing well okay i can i can get my color from bondi sands i don't need to fry myself on the beach um i can i can put my sunscreen on when i'm going for a walk um so really when we look at sun care it's self-tan and sun care together. That's really part of the Australian lifestyle. And, you know, when we launched the brand back in 2012, we had three self-tanning products. Um, we launched sun care five years later and people sort of looked at that as this was a new direction for Bondi Sands. But if you look back at the very first business planning that we did, sun care was, you know, was always on that agenda because they do play hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And for us, sun, uh, self-tan was a market that uh, we believed was a niche category and that we could build our traction and get our awareness through that, uh, through that category and then build ourselves up to actually be able to uh, yeah, compete within this, uh, the, self, uh, the sun care category. Um, so obviously it's a much bigger category than self-tan um, and there's a lot more legislation and there's a lot more to learn and understand um, to play in that space. Well, that was one thing I was going to ask. Did the fake tan come first? Because actually to get a, an SPF made, particularly in Australia, is, mm-hmm. is I'm guessing not just a complicated process, but quite a long one. It's a very long process. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking to launch a, um, a sun care brand, an SPF product, you probably need to allow at least two years um, to actually produce the product uh, go through the SBF testing, go through the stability, source the packaging, everything else, and then get it into retail. It's an incredibly long process. Um, we always talk about our brand being one of the most innovative and, and fast to market brands you know, available today. And in terms of self-tan, we can turn products around in six months from concept to on shelf in six months. Um, yeah, sun care, different story. Yeah, you're looking at close to two years before uh, you're on shelf. So you want to make sure you're... Um, yeah, taking your time and doing it properly. 
Well, we know it's complicated and it's complicated to make, but it's also complicated to use. And it's maybe sort of the inconvenient truth about SPF that actually it can be quite difficult to get your head around, whether it's the different formulas, like can is the formula that I use on holiday the same as the formula I should use on my face every day, all of those sorts of things. So what is the simple, clear message everyone needs to know about protecting their skin using a sunscreen? I think it starts with uh, you really that um, healthy skin habit is about everyday use. Um, you know, and really self, um, or sunscreen use, uh, is really for all ages and all skin types. So you do hear a lot of people still saying, oh, I don't burn in the sun and I only tan. And you know, that's, that may be true. People may not, you know, burn and go as red as, as others. Um, but yes, the sun damage is still taking place. Um, the UV light does, it is still penetrating into the skin and causing damage. So, um, it is essential for all skin types and all uh, age groups. So, you know, and when we're looking at an SPF product or a sunscreen product, um, we want to make sure that we're using a product that uh, protects against UVA and UVB. Mm-hmm. Um, and really both of these types of UV light, they're, they're present every day of the year. Uh, it's not just the sunny days, sometimes on overcast days or you know, days you may be at the snow or whatnot, the levels of UV light can actually be, can, um, actually be higher on those, mm-hmm. on those days. So it doesn't need to be warm to, be, to have a high level of UV. Um, so that's one thing to really remember. And that's why you know, in the UK, when we've been um, looking at some of our marketing campaigns, you know, trying to educate people that just because it's not warm doesn't mean that you're not exposed to UV light uh, on a daily basis. So when we are looking at those sunscreens on a daily basis, um, look to use a sunscreen that's at least a 30 SPF. Um, in Australia, I guess the main message is really pushing 50 plus. Mm-hmm. Um, if you walk through the, the aisles of a supermarket here, you rarely see anything under a 50 plus. Um, but um, yeah, in the UK, uh, yeah, at least a 30 um, is what we're recommending. Um, and that can, yeah, should be used every single day, um, whether it be under makeup or just using as a general sunscreen. Um, and I think the other thing to remember as well, that um, yeah, off the back of, you know, the UV, we're exposed to UV light, even on those cooler days, UV light has the ability to bounce off um, other substances as well. So if you're sitting inside your car, potentially it, it can reflect through the glass. Uh, when you're walking on the pavement, it's reflecting off the pavement. Uh, or if you're skiing, it's reflecting off the snow. Um, so all these things are amplifying UV light and we're really exposed to it on a daily basis. And you know, also we had a bit of a, a chat before around uh, the slip, slop, slap message, which is something that we've, it's been drilled into us since we were probably five, six years of age here in Australia. And that is make sure you're, you're slipping on a, a shirt, you're uh, slopping on some sunscreen, you're slapping on a hat. Um, yeah. So making sure that you are completely protected and not solely relying just on the sunscreen. Yeah, it's a good message, isn't it? It's not just, you think about all the things you can do to protect yourself. Now we've talked about the fact that uh, Australia is the toughest place to make skincare products. So what is it about the Australian TGA testing process and the water resistance requirements for SPF that means approve, an approved product is so effective? Yeah, I think uh, the, the thing that we find most difficult to adhere to is the water resistance uh, testing. So basically in Australia, if you produce a, a 50 plus sunscreen or a 30 plus sunscreen, um, and you claim that it's four hours water resistant, um, you actually have to maintain that level of SPF protection at the end of that uh, testing period. In the UK or the EU, you only have to reach 50% of what the original um, SPF level was. Oh. So potentially in the UK or in Europe, 
uh, and, and it's the same in the United States, um, is that you, know, you can put your sunscreen on, go for a quick swim, uh, come back out, think that you've still got the same level of uh, sunscreen on that, um, you know, because it's a water-resistant product, but you could be walking around with, you know, 20 uh, SPF 25 uh, still left on the skin, if not less. Because mm. um, obviously sunscreens age, you know, the active ingredients, and uh, they start to, um, you know, falter over time. So depending if the, the product is older, you could be walking around with little to no protection um, whatsoever. Um, and so, you know, in Australia, that's, those formulations, they're not necessarily you know, higher levels of active ingredients that's giving you that extra protection. It's also about the way we formulate the product. Um, there may be more, um, you know, more modern actives in Australia because we are so, we do have that highest rate of skin cancer in the world. Um, there's a lot of companies here really pushing the development of these active ingredients. And so not, you're not just piling active ingredients into the product, it's formulating a product in a better way or uh, looking to use technology or newer technology sooner um, than potentially in the UK or the EU. It is such it's such a minefield, isn't it? And just it's good to know that you've got a product where you can actually have that trust and that confidence in it. Um, was it tricky to actually try to create something within those parameters? And did you ever think this actually might be a little bit harder than we realised? We're just going to stick to the fake tan. Definitely that definitely that time. I think when we've you know we've thought, uh, yeah, we should just stick to the the cosmetic products. Um, look, one of the biggest issues is really um, texture and making it a product that people actually want to use. Um, you know, the high the high level protection sunscreens they're they're very thick. They can be very thick. And uh, when we were first looking at products, they were yeah they were very sticky on the skin and they would leave your skin looking greasy. So yeah, we've we spent a lot of time reformulating it to make products feel as thin as possible, uh, making sure they feel almost like moisturizers on the skin. Because I think end of the day, if people don't enjoy using them, they're not going to use them on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So that's really what we've struggled, struggled with. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time with um, development is really around texture and feel and making them, making these products more enjoyable uh, to use. We've added in some other uh, improvements to hydration. So we've got some products in our range now that use different types of sea kelp uh, that promote 72 hour uh, hydration as well. So post um, application, obviously more hydration in keeping the skin than you know, the, the better your skin will feel after that sun exposure. Um, so that's really what we've focused on is really the feel and the enjoyment of using sunscreens. I must admit when I first started using Bondi, Bondi Sands a couple of summers ago, I first of all, there was loads on the front of the packaging, like 72 hour hydration. And obviously there was the SPF factor, but it was that thing. And I go walking outside a lot and I, my arms are exposed and I always put body SPF on. And it is one of, it doesn't feel like an SPF. It feels like a really soft buttery lotion. It's such a delicious texture. So you've nailed it. Great. That's good to hear. That's what we're aiming for. <laughs> um, let's get into the nitty gritty though, because I just talked about the front of the packaging and it's a 72 hour and, but it also mentions UVA. And I always like to think of UVA as the aging and UVB, UVB burning, but what is, yep. what are they? And what are the other light sources that we possibly need to know about just so that we can understand why we need to protect ourselves with these topical products? Yeah, so you're exactly right. UVA, UVB, uh, UVA is, is really linked to aging of the skin. So it's actually a longer light wave than what UVB is, um, and it will penetrate further into the skin. Um, this is the, um, the UV light that's actually capable of penetrating through glass. 
Um, so it can you know, affect your skin uh, while you're sitting in the car or you are sitting uh, by the window. So this is the, the UV light that will over time create um, you know, wrinkles and, and fine lines because it's penetrating so far into the skin. The UVB, um, that is, as you said, it's associated with burning. So it's a shorter light wave. Um, but it will cause uh, burning and blistering of the skin. And it can also um, be related to the damage of DNA as well. So it's, um, yeah, they're, they're two very different um, UV, uh, different types of light. Um, but basically what, what actually happens when you're exposed to UVA and UVB. So UVA will actually trigger that tanning response in, in your skin. Sorry, the other way around. UVB will actually penetrate into the skin and that will that'll actually trigger your skin to develop melanin and that's basically your skin's response uh, to protecting itself so once it you know the skin's stimulated by uvb you, you the melanocytes that are actually below the level of your skin they'll start producing melanin that melanin rises to the surface of your skin and that is actually a pink color when it's produced when it's exposed to uva that then turns to brown so that's essentially what the whole tanning process is. And the whole process is around the skin trying to protect itself from further damage. Um, so that's really the whole tanning process. Um, so when we look at these types of UV light, uh, they're both, they both can contribute to uh, skin cancer. Um, and as I mentioned before, they can really affect any skin type at all. Um, when we look at other types of light sources, uh, UVC is probably the, the scariest. Um, and that, that's a, um, a light that's, um, it's usually burnt up in our atmosphere. So we don't, doesn't usually appear, um, you know, we don't really you know, uh, come in contact with it at all. It does cause cancer. Um, so it's not, it, it, may, it can cause cancer. It, it has a very high probability of doing that. But generally it is, it is burnt up in our atmosphere and we don't come in contact with that um, at all. So uh, thankfully, uh, so that's we've got our ozone layer to, um, to thank for that. Um, and then I suppose if you look at other um, you know, light sources, one that's sort of come to prominence over the last year, I suppose, is, is blue light exposure, um, you know, through, you know, mobile phones and, and laptops and things like that. Um, predominantly focused on you know, how it's affecting the eyes. Um, but when we look at, I suppose, the level of um, effect on the skin of the eyes that uh, as compared to UVA or UVB, it's sitting at about 1% of what, that, uh, of what that level is. So it is much lower, but you know, when you think about how much time you do spend looking at the uh, screens throughout the day, um, that time does that, does that up. Um, so I think that's why we're seeing the emergence of you know, blue light blocking uh, glasses and mm -hmm. um, and skincare products as well. Yeah, it's true. It's something that I see yeah. on packaging everywhere now. And there's a, there's, there's a little bit of mis-messaging about it, I think. And it's been made out to be, as you say, really something that we really have to worry about and need an extra product for. But actually, as you say, it's minimal, but it it's the cumulative that maybe is the yeah, issue. Yeah, it's... It is minimal compared to, you know, UV light exposure, definitely. Um, I think more so, I don't think it's such a huge driver for skincare. I think it's more about um, looking after our eyes more so. Um, yeah, obviously we do spend so much time focusing on screens. It's pretty clear that a lot of research goes into making products, understanding products, but also there's, there's data currently just constantly flooding in about uh, UVA, UVB, uh, the damage that we might be uh, subject to from being exposed to those things so what is the is there a sun care statistic related to all of that data that has really shocked you uh i have a i had a couple here actually um the first one i thought was you know 
pretty interesting from an overall skincare perspective, and, and this is a global statistic, is that 90% um, of all uh, aging is attributed to UV light exposure. Um, so that's, that's pretty amazing. But when you actually think about what we spoke about before, about where we're, um, I guess, engaging or you know, interacting with UV light, it's, it's when you're sitting in your car in traffic, it's you know, when you're sitting in the office and it's coming in through the glass, we're constantly being exposed to UV light. So um, I thought that stat was, was pretty amazing. Um, and I still yeah. yeah sort of find it hard to get my head around that, um, but it's true. Yeah, that because I always thought there was a, not a, a sort of a balance between what happens to us and our genetics. And you kind of hope your genetics are going to come in and save the day. But 90 percent, it's like no chance. Yeah, that's right. And I suppose there's, there's a little bit of uh, genetics to come into play around skin typing, I suppose. If, if you're someone that can you know, develop more melanin and things, things like that, you may, it's, it, yeah, it's going to be slightly less. Um, but it is happening on a daily basis. And yeah, it's really about that accumulative effect of just, you know, being exposed to those elements every single day. Yeah. And you said there was another one as well. The other one. Yeah. So I was, I was interested to see, we'll talk about something that was related to the UK direct. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I suppose. So, Fantastic. Um, yeah, and this one's really about understanding of SPF. And this is, I think, what we're trying to do as a brand, both in the UK and the United States, is really um, educate consumers about SPF as a whole. So 26% um, of the UK population is uh, was unaware that uh, SPF products or a level of SPF, say 25 SPF, was a, a measure of a sunscreen's ability to prevent um, UVA, sorry, UVB from damaging the skin. So a quarter of the population doesn't understand what, a, what an SPF 50 actually means. Um, you know, some of the responses were that um, they thought it was, you know, how long they could spend in the sun. Um, so I thought that was, that was interesting. Um, that is it'd so It'd be true. interesting to see what the Australian stats would be on that because I imagine it would be a lot, a lot less than that. Um, but, yeah, a quarter of the population is quite high. I remember distinctly being at school and going on holiday and using a product and thinking it's an SPF 20, therefore I can be outside for 20 minutes. I mean, I was obviously outside for like six hours, but that was that somehow embedded. And also there are the different categorizations. So there are star ratings and there are different things. So actually you could look at the front of five different bottles. They could be the same in terms of the protection they'll offer, but they might not necessarily have the same messaging. So you wouldn't, it's really confusing. So how do you simplify it? Where does it all sit with Bondi Science? How can people understand? Look, there's a, um, I think if you look at, yeah, if you're looking for the best protection, I would always go for um, a 50 plus, at least a 50 sunscreen. Make sure it's got a water resistancy there as well, because water resistancy doesn't just protect you if you go for a swim. Uh, it's also if you start sweating as well. So if you, you're at just walking during the day, your, your skin starts to sweat, it starts to wear off the sunscreen as well. So if you're really looking for that, you know, the best protection, um, you know, go for a 50 sunscreen, 50 SPF sunscreen with a water resistancy. So what um, does the 50 mean in that context? What does any number mean on uh, an SPF? 
So generally, if you look at a 50 plus sunscreen, um, you know, it, yeah, you're looking at about a 98% protection against the UV light. Um, and obviously as, as you move down the percentage, um, you know, uh, reduces, but generally what it looks at is it's actually 50 times your natural protection to the sun. Is basically what we're looking at. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, in the UK, actually the messaging, even though like Australia is, like I said, our, our sun's so much harsher, our messaging on packs actually a lot more simpler. Um, so in the UK, you have the, the boot star rating over there, which is another thing which is very confusing. Um, and as a brand, it took us a little while to understand that as well. And we have products there, which, you know, when we first went to take them over there, we're like, you know, these should be five-star guaranteed. But over there, they test them in a completely different way. So they test for the star rating really just on the percentage of UVA versus UVB protection. Right. So, there is, um, it, so it's not a universal measure, which is what can add to the confusion. Yeah. So that's why we always say, um, you know, if you're looking for the best protection, make sure it's water-resistant tested, and it also has that uh, level at, at least a 50 SPF. Okay. Now you have uh, SPF uh, cosmetic products and you have mm -hmm. SPF straight sun care products, the stuff that I would put in my beach bag and slather on before I went out in the sun. Is there a difference between the SPF formulas depending on what type of product it is? Um, yeah, generally. Um, yeah, these uh, yeah, cosmetic um, products, they a lot of the time they'll have, you don't see a lot with a high level 50 plus sunscreen in them. Generally active ingredients uh, for SPF products. They can be quite sticky. They can be quite thick. And a lot of the time when you mix them in with makeup and things like that, they don't really, um, you know, they don't go so well together. You, mm. you, you may end up with a bit of a sheen on the skin when it's on. And so it's not the best result. So generally most of the makeup products are about a 15 to a 30. So a little bit lower than, you know, what we would like to be using on a daily basis. Um, and then generally when you're applying those products, they, you're actually applying them in quite a, a thin way. So, you know, when you're, so for example, when you, when we usually say for, for the face, for example, um, you probably want to use uh, a four centimeter diameter of sunscreen for the face. Mm -hmm. That's quite a lot of product to mm -hmm. put on your face. And that needs to be rubbed into the, into the skin properly. Um, when you're using sunscreens within cosmetic products or you know makeups, you're not using anywhere near that enough uh, enough sunscreen, and you're not rubbing it in like that either. You're actually sitting on on top of the skin, so the actual process is is very different. The application is different, um, and you're really not using enough um, product. Okay, so that's why you might have a thirty in your foundation-based product, for example, but you're probably not actually going to be applying that level. It's just that that is available to you. If you put on what is it the two crams per centimeter squared or something um, yeah something like that yeah and foundation gets a really bad rap for leaving a white cast or i know when i used to do uh makeup for my friends when they got married they would look for a foundation that didn't have spf in it because they didn't want to have the glare or the flash in pictures is that true for any sunscreen whether it's a makeup or skincare on its own um, I think it used to be uh, old sunscreens, particularly high protection ones were um, they did leave a bit of a white cast. And, and that was obviously, you know, that was inherent, um, I suppose, with the, the active ingredients that are within the product. But we've seen a lot of development come through now. Um, you know, mineral sunscreens, the, the product that really sit on, on top of the skin, they generally will give off more of a white cast than what a, a chemical sunscreen will. Um, but I think we've seen technology really evolve over the last, you know, probably in the last two years where, 
um, you know, more people are wanting to use it on a daily basis, use sunscreens with their makeup on a daily basis. So there's new formulas coming through now that using that are using smaller particle size. Um, so it's reducing that reflection um, and allowing it a bit easier to mix with sun, uh, with uh, cosmetic uh, makeup products as well. So I think, yeah, you're seeing less and less of that white cast now. Now we're going to get into a, a topic that um, I'm really glad that I'm going to be able to unpick with you because SPF gets a bad rap. So there's already, we've already established that there's a lot of confusion and it can be complicated. So it's yeah. completely fine if you sometimes feel bamboozled by it. But then there's this whole other element of people saying, well, you know, the SPF is toxic and you're absorbing toxins and poisons when you use it. Mm. Please discuss, Blair. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, like, um, your company, or I guess organisations like uh, the TGA in Australia, basically what their role is, is to identify, um, you know, active ingredients that are used in products like these. Um, so SBFs are considered drugs um, in the UK, um, same as Australia, a therapeutic product here in Australia, um, and very similar in the UK. So you have organisations there that are constantly testing these products and, and testing sunscreens for for um, those results, and there really hasn't been any, um, you know, proven fact that these the sunscreens are the chemicals in them are causing any damage. Um, you know, and th th whether they're actually even penetrating far enough into the skin to even be absorbed into the bloodstream. So they're the, they're the, really the two things which the, you know the FDA, the TGA, and um, you know the UK and EU really look at on a, on a regular basis and constantly testing, um, you know, whether these ingredients are find their way into the bloodstream. Yeah, because it does. It's one of those things where you read one article, see one headline, and it could make you think twice before putting it on your skin if you think it's somehow going to poison you. Yeah, and it's, look, it's understandable that yeah, that people do get concerned about that. Um, but like as I said, we've seen we've done a lot of testing with these products and working with these organisations, and there's really not any uh, any proof or any any study that shows that is that that is the case. Um, look, there has been some, you know, um, ingredients that have been, that have been taken out of products, uh, you know, the last couple of years, but they've been really, um, positioned around how they affect our environment. Um, so when we talk about reef-friendly products and, uh, talk about products that affect, um, you know, the reefs and also marine life as well. So that's, they're really the, the products that have been, uh, pushed to take out of formulations, uh, recently. That that was something else I was going to ask you. So I'm guessing you're referring to it as oxybenzone and oxyt. Say this for me because I can't. Oh, I can't even say that. To be honest, oxy oxytinoxy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only to not oxycrylene is another one that's uh, on the the list as well. Uh, so yeah, um, <laughs> difficult words to say. Um, but yeah, we're we're seeing uh, as as a brand, we really we pride ourselves on being vegan friendly uh, and also being uh, reef friendly. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've just gone and reformulated everything to take those two ingredients out, as well as octocrylene coming out as well. Um, obviously, we're very passionate about a marine life here in Australia, so we want to make sure we're doing the right thing as a brand. And so are they, they are the things that have been linked to, or again, I could be reading scary headlines, things like bleaching coral and uh, just causing marine life to not do so well. Yeah, I think there's look, there's a number of factors. I, I don't think you can just blame like small amounts of these these chemicals going into the ocean. Um, there's obviously you know, a factor of you know, global warming. Um, mm -hmm. There's also uh, you know just you know I think may a lot of the issues are probably coming from changing in temperature in the ocean. I think that's mm -hmm. probably where a lot of it's coming from. But I think all those things also have a, have an impact as well. I think you know, overall marine life health you know is 
well talked about at the moment um, of a number of factors, whether it be plastic production and, and other chemicals leaching into the water. So I think this is something that when we look at very friendly sort of um, education, it's definitely growing. And, you know, we're going to see a lot of change happening over, you know, in the coming years. There's not really one body organisation that, you know, sets these standards and this is going to happen. So it's really at the moment that brands are taking responsibility themselves and saying, well, if that's if that doesn't look like it's great for the environment, we won't use it. Um, and we're definitely one of those brands that we're happy to take that first step. Um, but I think we'll see education definitely grow um, on that topic, you know, over the coming years. Okay, I think I think so too. I think it's definitely become something that is front of people's minds now. You talked about two of the uh, the, the statistics that you had heard that kind of gave you pause, and one that I read was uh, that most people will receive between fifty and eighty percent of their lifetime sun exposure by the time they're eighteen. And it did make me think, well, if, if you've already had the bulk of it, what's the point of wearing SPF after 18? I'm acting, listeners, I'm acting. I don't obviously really think <laughs> that. Um, but yeah. some people might think, well, if I've, already, if I've already been exposed to the majority of my sun exposure before I was even aware that I needed to be using SPF, what is the point in doing it now? If the damage is already done, not just the damage that was visible at the time, but that invisible damage that has really got deep and will expose itself years later, what is the point in wearing SPF? Yeah, I think uh, there's a couple of reasons. Um, yeah, if you think back when you're when you're a young child and you're, you're younger, and yeah, you know, when you're under the age of twenty, you're actually producing a lot a lot more collagen as well. So your your skin's actually able to, I guess, um, you know, hide the effects of that or or to stand up to a degree um, to the damage that's being done. So once you um, go past twenty years of age, you actually your collagen production reduces by one percent every year. So you're actually producing less and less collagen. <laughs> so as you, yeah, if you're continuing to expose yourself to the same level of sun ongoing, um, that's when it gets to the time where, you know, these, these, um, these exposures are really going to take their toll and you're really going to see, you're going to see the damage. Um, so that's probably, I think the first part from a, from an aesthetic standpoint in terms of what your skin looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, the second part of it is an interesting stat that, um, you know, melanoma, um, almost half of all melanomas occur at, um, adults 50 years of age. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, melanomas are you know, potentially caused by sun exposure when you're a teenager or when you're young. Um, but we are seeing more and more. Um, studies come out showing that these melanomas are developing later in life. Um, so, you know, there's really that making sure you continue to use sunscreen is, is one way of making sure, you know, that uh, you can reduce those, those risks, um, you know, throughout uh, those later years. So really there's, there's two reasons to keep using sunscreens um, throughout your life. And I look, I'm sure lots of listeners are, are very diligent about their sun care and a lot probably are drawn towards the 50 plus formulas and you have a 50 plus formula. What makes yours so different? Because that there, there is a lot of love and graph that's gone into this particular formula, is there not? There is. And we're so passionate about it as a brand developing products that people love using. Um, and it does come from you know, our self-tanning heritage, really, where that came from. It was you know, that those that self-tan sun care go hand in hand in Australia. And and we, we know that for people to continue to use these products and use them as much as they as they as they should, these products need to be nice to use. They need to be nice to apply. They need to be able to, nice to wear throughout the day. 
Um, so we, we did spend a lot of time on the formulation and, and really adding in that extra, those moisturizing benefits and those hydration benefits to make sure that your skin feels good while you're using it. Um, you know, as, we, as we've spoken about, the re-friendly direction is something we're, we're very friendly at, but it's very focused on. Um, and also that vegan-friendly direction as well, which a lot of sunscreens in the market, they actually use beeswax or they use other types of products in them as well um, to really get that consistency. Um, so that's something we've just reformulated to make sure that all of our sunscreens are vegan-friendly. Um, and as we've spoken about, they are designed uh, with the Australian standards in mind. So we want to make sure that those water resistance levels are, are maintained. So you, know, you can have the, the best product and you know you are confident uh, knowing that you are confidently protected if you do go for a swim or you go for a run with your sunscreen and you know that um, you still have that high level of protection. So I think that's really what separates um, you know, Bondi from its competitors in the market. I can imagine that in the process, there were just lots and lots and lots of lab samples with different textures. And it was like, this one, the SPF is amazing, but the texture is not quite right. And then the texture is amazing, but we couldn't get the SPF in there that we really wanted. And I can just imagine the lab just full of these tiny bottles. And then there was a eureka moment. <laughs> yeah, we have our, um, our MPD manager, our new product development manager in Australia, Maz. She, her desk is usually piled six, seven bottles high <laughs> any day of the week. So Maz is constantly going through a new product. So um, yeah, and it's, you know what, it, it's even to the point in Australia, it's, it's, it's so frustrating that, so if you get a formulation that you like, um, you can then put it into stability and it needs to be tested in the bottle that it's going to be sold in. So the active ingredients, they're so sensitive that, that it actually, um, certain plastics will set the product off. Mm. Or if you test it in a certain plastic and then you design your packaging and supply it in a different type of plastic, the product may not work. So it's just another complication that we sort of that we have to go through. So there's really the, you know, the protection side, there's the formulation and, and in, you know, in texture feel and whether people like it. And then there's the packaging side. Um, so I guess that we can understand why it takes you know, close to two years to get a, uh, a sun care product to market. I can just imagine lots of bins being kicked around offices when you're just kind of like, not again. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes we will we, test sometimes, some products we've gone back six or seven times to SPF mm. testing. So we've produced a product and we've added all these hydration benefits and all these things in, and we send it back and they go, mm, no, it only came in at a 45, or it only came in at a, only at a 50. Um, and so, and generally we'll work at our pricing, our formulation and how we want to market a product based off what the level of SPF is. Mm. Um, so it's so important really for the whole, you know, brand message and, and product uh, development process to make sure we hit those levels. Goodness. It sounds very mm. stressful. I have to say now, okay, to close, <laughs> I'm going to ask you this. Piccadilly yeah. Circus, we know it's the, the world's most famous billboards. You can post mm -hmm. one sun care message across the dilly across piccadilly circus what will it say well it, it's funny you ask this question because we actually produced an outdoor media campaign last year and we, we were shooting it right at the beginning of covid we were actually i was in london i think it was the very start of march and you know oh. covid cases were just starting and i flew home that that night after shooting this campaign um, and i think we went into lockdown about a week after i got back so it was literally we, we were shooting this campaign and so I don't have an actual tagline for you or like message on the thing, but I can tell you about what this campaign was going to be. And it was really, I have to say, it was poking a little bit of fun at the UK weather. Um, and my dad's English, so I feel like I'm allowed to, to you know, take, poke a bit of fun. You get um, a pass. But basically, 
Yeah, we shot a bunch of scenes that, um, you know, the first one was it was it was meant to look like a scene at Wimbledon and it was pelting down with rain and there was a couple sitting there with their um, with their umbrella and the tagline was Bondi sand sunscreen just in time for the UK summer. So and it was really this message was about, you know, even in the UK summer in those days when it's not sunny, our whole message was going to be around. Yeah, even on these days, making sure you're using sunscreen, even when it's overclassed, making sure you're wearing sunscreen. So it was really about an educational piece that, you know, um, that it is really a daily regime and, and should be done throughout winter. You know, there's not so sunny days. And of course, um, those um, warm summer days. It's the thing, isn't it? It's just, I remember saying once, some, uh, if the sun's in the sky, then wear sunscreen. And someone said, even if it's cloudy, I'm like, right, if the sun is up, wear sunscreen. And then I think a really yes. good measure is um, if you can read a book or if you like I have a piece of paper in front of me, if I can read it without a light source, then you should be wearing a sunscreen, which obviously I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. I really enjoyed learning a bit more about Bondi. It sounds honestly, genuinely, uh, thank you so much because it sounds like it's really tough to create these products and you've done it really well. So thank you for your time and explaining it and also for for continuing to create these great, um, these great products. No worries at all. No, happy to uh, answer some questions and yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found that conversation with Blair enlightening, but also helpful in how you'll be using sun care moving forward. All the links to Bondi Sands will be in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. And that's also where you'll be able to find the link to join the Facebook forum where thousands of you are talking about subjects, including sun care. So come and join us there. If you would like to speak to me, then email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.